You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 161. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. This was the last week was a big week in The Local Maximum. Big week, five Five interviews I got done in a single week. I was like, you know, I was working all day and then either in the morning or at the end of the day in the evening, I hopped on and uh, did an interview for like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 minutes, depending on who it was. I interviewed five very different people. And so I am really excited to share those with you uh, over, <laughs> I guess, what will be the next two months. I don't know if we have, uh, if you have any more Callers, uh, by the way, I'm always taking callers. So if you're interested in calling into the show, localmaxradio at gmail.com. But uh, the, I think I'll go once a week unless we get a few more. Then I might have to kind of double up a little bit. I've never doubled up twice a week, but if I have so much content, uh, I will be happy to pull the trigger on that. Um, you'll hear at the end, after today's interview, what I have uh, in the can and uh, what order I might do it in. That was a big, that was a big question, like how to figure out the order. Uh, I took some funny notes in a notepad while conducting these interviews. So I'll post those on maximum.locals.com if you want to jump into my locals group. So uh, today, let's just get into the stuff today. Today, you're going to hear something. You're going to have a a great conversation. It actually might be a little bit of a polarizing episode today. I'm not going to uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Uh, we're going to be talking about online censorship again. Uh, I laid out my clear opposition to censorship and, and why in episode 155. That's about six episodes back. Um, lots of people care about it, it turns out. And so uh, someone from ammo.com reached out to me. They said they saw that episode. They saw episode 70, which is a couple of years ago, which is my ode to the Potterverse, which was, you know, why I was, why I feel like podcasting is kind of the last bastion of uh, free speech on the internet. Um, And so they they like the article and say, hey, it's great. Can you check out our article, maybe link to it? And I said, you know, uh, I sometimes I write back to these. I said, you know, uh, can, can I just get the author to, 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 to talk with me on the show? So, so they reached out and they reached out to uh, Sam Jacobs, who is, uh, who, who who writes for ammo.com and he's also a podcaster, it turns out. So it was like, yeah, great, let's do it. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, there are a lot of different aspects to this issue. So I know that, um, you know, a lot of people come at it from different angles and, and you know, you might listen to our conversation. You'd be like, well, I'll, I t- take it a different angle. I have a different perspective, um, you know. And so one of the t- takeaways from me uh, on this that I absolutely agree with Sam on um, is that the people doing the censoring are not going to stop at like, you know, private companies. You know, they lo- lobby private companies and say, well, it's a private company. They could do what they want. Um, and, and it's an internet, co- they're internet companies. It's Twitter, it's Facebook. So, um, you know, uh, the, the point that he brings up and I'll, I'll get into the interview in a little bit. I just want to, I just want to say why this, this interview, um, you know, w- w- the, what I took away from this conversation is that they're not like, why would be, people stop at just doing that? Like, will they go into uh, banking? Will they go into other areas of life? Uh, will they use, eventually use force to try to get people to stop saying certain things? Um, well, why not? Why, why, 
uh, the people who are doing this don't have you know scruples like that. So uh, why wouldn't they? So there needs to be some pushback. Um, and so uh, you know, the, Sam talks about the political angle of that. I have some other angles up to it, which I'll probably get into in, in future shows of the next couple of weeks. Um, now, remember from last week, last week's episode was not on censorship online. Uh, and deplatforming, but I did read an article about the New York Times. There was kind of a throwaway line that the New York Times uh, gave about in this article about the rationalists, where they actually uh, insinuated that online censorship not only is it not really an issue, but the big tech companies are run by these free speech extremists who, like you know, won't um, you know who who won't budge, and that's causing a lot of problems. And I just that just seems like a different world to me, a whole different set of facts. So. Please, if you take that position, I want to talk to you about it. I'd like to hear your perspective because I just haven't heard it. I mean, I, I guess I know some people, maybe some people I work with who kind of take that as, as a given, but they, uh, maybe they haven't really thought about it very much. But if, if that is your position, look, I promise I'll let you talk. You'll see I let my guests talk today. I'll let you talk just as much. Uh, I just haven't heard that case laid out um, in, in that perspective. So, uh that, that'll be interesting if, if, if I get any takers. All right. I'll talk about the future at the end. My guest today is the host of the Resistance Library podcast and lead writer for Ammo.com and has been following closely all of the censorship and purges that have been taking place online. Sam Jacobs, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so uh, before we start, tell me a little bit about your podcast and your site well the podcast is called the resistance library podcast it is sponsored by uh ammo.com where we have whatever ammunition you guys are looking for and if we don't try back in a couple of days uh and ammo.com has a section on the site called the resistance library i'm also the managing editor of a news aggregator uh that you can find at news.libertasbella.com. And I'll send you links to all these. You can put them in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, well, I said, uh, I am not in the world of ammo, but I know a couple people who are, who tell me that there is some kind of a uh, a shortage. Yeah, there's like, I mean, yes, basically. Um, you know, there's like not a lot of ammo around and what you can find is... A lot of times is weird calibers and and or it's like you can get a box of 20 or you can get a box of 20,000 and there's nothing in between. Um, we pretty consistently have stuff from, you know, like normal calibers, like 9, 10, 44, 45, uh, 223, you know, 12 gauge, 20 gauge. Um, and if we don't, we'll have it in like, you know, another another couple of days and it's usually you know it's pretty it's pretty uh i don't like to call things cheap uh but it's pretty inexpensive as far as ammunition goes so gotcha so you you wrote an article about censorship in big tech and you took a pretty uh you you took some pretty strong stances um what what was it i mean I almost feel uh, ridiculous asking you, what was it that prompted that article? Is there anything that happened over the last couple of years? No, but, uh, you know, but uh, why now? Well, not any reason in particular. I mean, you know, we generally have a like queue pretty long of ideas that we're going to write about. 
Um, and it just kind of like came out because, you know, it was time to, to write something about it. I mean, it came out a while ago, um, but gotcha. there wasn't anything in particular. It's just like I've been watching this, you know, slow motion car crash going on for since. I mean, when did they deplatform Milo? You know, that was like oh, seven years ago be, at this point. It feels like it. I, I don't think it was that long ago, but it it, it could be. I, I don't even want to guess. It could be like four years ago. I think it was 2015, but I don't know. That, so that'd oh, okay. be six years ago. I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but, you know, yeah. this is like, uh, this has been going on for a while. And I think that, you know, the writing was pretty much on the wall from the word go on this, that this was you know, that, that people like Milo and Alex Jones were kind of, um, um, who, who are both people, by the way, who I have like enormous amounts of respect for in their, in their, in their particular function in what they do. You know, it's not like that I want to be Milo or I want to be Alex Jones or that I think that they're like, you know, the wisest men under the sun or anything by any means, but I don't want to do the thing where I like, you know, um, dump all over somebody in the, in the, uh, to, to make my point, uh, particularly when it's people that I, you know, have some admiration and respect for. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was pretty clear to me that this was gonna, you know, I'm not surprised that the, that the president was deplatformed. I'm kind of surprised that it, that they didn't wait until Biden was in office to do it. That's kind of the only thing that really surprised me about it. Um, right, because then they wouldn't have the talking point. Oh, that they uh, deplatformed a sitting president. You know, it would be slightly different. I don't know. Yeah, so so I've just kind of been following this for a while, and you know, I I suspect, as I say in the article, that I don't think it's going to stop at social media. I think it's going to move to people's bank accounts. Um, I think that you know, if you're in the wrong kind of business, payment processors are going to shut you down, um, and I think that it is extremely dangerous and also kind of this huge blind spot for libertarians and kind of didactically small government conservative types. Um, because if your response to this is to just kind of throw your hands up and go, Oh, well, you know, free, it's the free market and private companies can do whatever they want. And, you know, this kind of response to it, um, I just don't see that as a winning response to this. So, yeah, I I wanted to start to like sort sort of name the name the offenders that we're talking about. Obviously, Twitter, but a lot of times these companies work together. And as I've said, like when when Jack Dorsey came back to Twitter in 2015, there are articles like, "Oh, he's going to bring it back to its free speech roots." It's, it's kind of funny to read that uh, today, uh, but. Um, which which companies do you think are the worst offenders? Do they kind of all work together? Are there some that aren't as bad, or are they just all are the ones that aren't as bad, just like you know a year behind? Or well, I don't know that there's any one that's kind of worse than the other. I mean, every every platform that I'm aware of that has some kind of commitment to free speech is is has been organized in response to deplatforming on mainstream social media. So things like Parler and Gab um, yeah. come to, you know, Mastodon. Um, these things all come to mind. But in terms of big tech, I mean, they claim they don't work together. But like, you know, Donald Trump lost his 
Pinterest and his Spotify the same day <laughs> that he lost his Twitter account. Um, so I find it extremely difficult to believe that they're not working in concert in some fashion or another. I mean, they claim they're not, you know, I don't have any inside information on this, um, but it seems fairly clear to me that they are. Hmm. So do you think that the people who started these companies, like, you know, do, do you think that Jack Dorsey intended to make Twitter a free speech platform and all that? Or do you think that they, you know, they, do you think they, they, they want to do this all along? Or do you, I mean, I know it's a, a kind of a hard question to answer, but um, how do you think about the leadership? Are they just being pushed by forces outside their control? It's, it's hard to tell sometimes. I don't think they're being pushed by forces outside their control. I don't think that they started off saying like, oh, you know, we're going to shut down free speech on the Internet or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I think people, you know, I tend to like ascribe good, um, good intentions to people and assume that people are good faith actors until they give me reason to think otherwise. Um, in the case of big tech and deplatforming, I think that it's very... Uh, it has a lot of overlap with kind of the left's um, growing distaste for democracy uh, in the West and also and, and also, well, less so in the post-Soviet countries because they don't have the same, you know, leverage there. But we did a po- uh, we did a podcast yesterday about the uh, the Spanish Civil War and kind of got on the topic of you know, what the, what's called illiberal democracy. And it's not, you know, a new trend by any means, but basically there's a recurring pattern in democracy um, where their populist movements uh, arise on the left or on the right, but basically that are distasteful to those in power and their toadies uh, and those aspiring to be in power and then those people say, well, that's enough of that for now. We better shut all this down. And I think that that's basically what happened with Twitter and Facebook um, and, you know, pick a social media platform. I think it was like, well, free speech is good, uh, but now it's not anymore because people are using it to do things that we don't want. And if I have to pick a tipping point for it, I would say it was probably the 2016 election um, hmm. because... So you know, baked in for a while. Oh, I think it's I think it's really difficult to overestimate the degree to which the 2016 election um, ruined the plans that the kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, the globalist elites, the neoliberal elites, however you choose to frame it, um, it really and messed up, really messed up their that. plans. I mean, they had what they had planned was mass amnesty, open borders, war against Syria, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And they didn't get any of that. You know, they just thought it was a done deal. We're going to get Clinton in. We're going to get all this stuff. We're going to get everything we want. And then they didn't get any of it. Um, And I think that that was the big wake up call for them was like, whoa, free speech is out of control. And I think that there's this kind of like, um, you know, misconception on people on the right where they're like, well, didn't the left used to be for free speech? No, the left used to be for greater power for the left, and they still are. And there was an early, in an earlier era, greater free speech was to the benefit of 
the the left in in this country and in the, and in the West. And now that it's not anymore, now that it now that it erodes their power and attacks their power and is a and is a base of resistance to their power, um, they don't like it anymore and want to shut it down. And I don't think we're anywhere near done on this. I mean, the whole like campaign against you know dangerous misinformation that's coming out of uh these these uh you know conspiracy theory cable news channels like fox news that they're having hearings about in congress literally today um they're very you know i mean think about that for a second fox news is 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 giving uh your you know big tech overlords uh, and their and their puppets in Congress, the vapors right now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to ask though. You, you said that they are, you know, they are. It, it's like they've had it with democracy, but oftentimes I hear from people who are proponents of this censorship, like, no, we need to do this to save democracy because the the people on these platforms are themselves attacking democracy. Well, what they really mean by that is saving liberalism. I mean, th- th- there's like, you know, there's liberalism this as, as understood today. Uh, right. And there's this kind of like, and democracy. Yeah. there's this kind of like, um, you know, con- conception that came out around the time at the end of the Cold War. And again, we talked about on the Resistance Library podcast when we talked about the Spanish Civil War. That was like, well, the Soviet Union fell. And so now we're just going to build a McDonald's in Warsaw. and you know, in 10 years, they'll they'll all be like, you know, these these, uh, you know, two income family abortion worshiping, um, you know, American liberal herb, herbal urban coastal Americans, basically. And they thought that this was like the this was like the thing everyone wanted, you know, was just for like the entire world to be to be New York City or San Francisco. And it's like, no, they got democracy in Poland and they were like, we don't like any we don't like any of this. You know, we don't like any of this kind of, um, you know, contemporary consumer culture stuff. We like, you know, the church and, and, and intact families and things like this. And they use the ballot box to do it. And I think that increasingly what you're seeing, you know, it's I believe it's strongest in post-Soviet countries, but you're seeing it in the West. I mean, I think that, you know, for example, I think Marina Le Pen is is probably going to be the next president of France. Um, you have Bolsonaro down in down in Brazil, uh, of course, Trump in in the United States. Um, there's I think that they're the the uh, conservative party is in real trouble in the UK if uh, Nigel Farage's rebrand of brexit the of the brexit party is successful and he rebrands it as a kind of anti-lockdown party i think the conservative party is in real trouble uh there's the sweden democrats there's the uh, the alternative for germany and there's all these kinds of like you know anti anti anti-liberal populist parties that have arisen in the west and they hold power in in post-soviet countries um so i think that you know when 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 contemporary liberals talk about neoliberals talk about democracy um what they they don't really mean democracy at all and i think that there's like like i have criticisms of of democracy and you can read them on this you can read them on the site but the, the but the criticism of democracy that 
um, liberals have, neoliberals have, is not, you know, oh, uh, the one that I would have, which is like, it's not, you know, it's not right that 51% of the population can take toothbrushes away from 49, from 49% of the population or to translate it into um, more concrete terms in the United States. You know, I don't think that um, Wyoming and Iowa should be uh, Kulak food surfs for large coastal cities. So I would be very opposed to unfettered democracy anywhere. But I think that when liberals talk, neoliberals talk about, um, you know, threats to democracy and, and their critique of democracy to, is always about, well, we didn't get our way, you know, and anytime they don't get their way, it's seen as this kind of like prima facie evidence that something went wrong, that something went awry. There's sort of like the, the spirit of democracy where, you know, everybody has to get their say. You need to be. You know, you you need to have many voices. I mean, I know this sounds very like you know, <laughs> hairy pie in the sky, but like, and, and, uh, like um, that's the society I want, and that's sort of like you know, if it's like okay, we're we're all going to vote, but everybody's you're not allowed to talk to each other. Like that's there's no like democratic theory where that's that's the kind of democracy that works. Yeah, sure. I mean, and I, I think that like, that's the thing. I mean, I think that the notion that um, I think that the whole no, I mean, I think free speech is basically, a, you know, the, the whole like um, claim that, well, free speech is a right wing thing now. Um, I think that's true. You know, and I don't think it's like this, this own that, um, you know, the, the, the writers of the Daily Beast think or what you'll know, pick your favorite kind of like uh, corporate toady liberal publication. Um, I, I don't I don't think that that's untrue. Yeah, I think that, like, you know, for all intents and purposes, um, Glenn Greenwald is is on the right now to pick a to pick a specific example, because like things like localism, transparency of intelligence, you know, demanding that our intelligence Agencies be transparent, um, free speech, being opposed to wars of choice and adventure around the world. I think that, yeah, I think these are all like right wing issues now. And I don't think that and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I think that that's like these are these are many of the issues that unite the new kind of populist right. And I think a lot of it just boils down to skepticism, distrust and hostility towards large institutions um, and, and, and centralization of power, I think is ultimately what it comes down to. So what, so uh, one thing you mentioned before was, you know, it's not going to stop at social media. Uh, Where, what are you going to look for as kind of like alarm bells as to where people are going to be deplatformed next? You mentioned banking, Um, you know, what, how far could this go? Uh, there's no limit to how far it could go. I mean, we have ample examples throughout the 20th century, uh, uh, you know, in, in both communism and fascism of how far I mean, I this can go. I hope not that far. Well, we, we all hope not that far, but like, <laughs> do you think they're going to stop because they're such good people and they're so concerned about your rights? Of course they're not, you know, not um, well, no, but sometime, at some point, 
Well, I mean, I don't know. Even even the Soviet Union ended at some point. So well, the Soviet Union ended at some point. But if it's like, well, kids, we're gonna we're gonna win, but we get to suffer under Bolshevism for eighty years. You know, it's like it's not like the Soviet Union burned itself out in like eight years or something. It was eighty years that these people were were terrorized by their by their government. Um, I think banks. I think it's gonna be banks. Um, I think the banks are gonna be a big thing. I think that. You know, um, they started this, I want to say, about 10 years ago when the uh, federal government working in concert with the big the big banks, um, you know, meaning like the, the commercial banks that you and I use, not kind of like financial banks, um, decided that they were going to plat- deplatform uh, and, sh- and deny banking services to people in the porn industry. And I don't have any you know, great love, uh, for pornography. I don't like, think it's a good thing. Um, and by any means, I think that there's a lot of criticisms to be made of, of the, of its social effects. But at the time that it happened, it was very, very clear to me and to other people that I knew that like, this was, this was their, this was them testing the waters. Can we take, can we take porn stars bank accounts away? Can we get away with it? Because if we can get away with it, then it's just slicing the salami further and further and further. So, uh, and, and conservatives have had their, have had their bank accounts closed. You know, we talked, I cite specific examples of this in the article. Conservatives have, have been denied banking services. So I think that like, if, can you say, can you remind me of the, the example? Let me find it. Uh, uh-huh. I got to look it up. I don't have, I don't have, I sadly don't have oh, okay, the uh, okay. article in That's front right. of me. Right. Well, but I'll, yeah, I'll I mean, I'll put, put the link in the show notes. People can go read it. I mean, it, 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 it it's, um, it might've been Rambo Biggs, um, but I'm just pulling, pulling a name, you know, but I mean, so what's, what's the difference between, at what point do you go? It's not okay to deny people services based on their um, political beliefs. And I think that we really, um, right you know, need to have a robust um, response where we, where we treat, and I think that this is absolutely essential, where we treat people's um, political convictions the same way that we do their uh, religious convictions, their racial identity. Uh, I, I, I think that political idea, political speech should be protected in, in a robust in a, in a similarly robust fashion. And I think that, you know, if you think that the founders uh, would have allowed five companies who are hostile to American values and freedom to decide who gets to exercise free speech, and they just would have thrown their hands up and gone, oh, well, it's the free market at work, and I guess we can't really do anything about it. It's like, no, they absolutely would not have allowed it. It's like Tucker Carlson's really sharp on this. The free market's great, but it's a toaster. It's not a principle. It's a tool. It's a tool that we use for prosperity and the distribution of goods. And we got sold this false bill of goods in the conservative movement in the 70s and the 80s that like the goal was the free market rather than that the free market was a tool that we used to create the kind of society that we wanted. So you mentioned also like, and 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 you you touched on this before how 
sometimes these companies will start off with someone who is like on the on the more unpopular side to see if it's okay and yeah. like you know do not appease them <laughs> by uh you know and and sometimes it puts you in a position where you have to defend someone who uh who you you don't you know who who, who most good people don't want to to be on the same side of but you kind of have to well that's the thing free speech doesn't mean anything if it doesn't apply to speech that you think is reprehensible and disgusting yeah like that's it you know like i think that all kinds of i'm not gonna you know what i'm not even gonna single out i'm not even gonna single out a specific person or like ideology i will only say that there's tons of views in the world that i find like morally reprehensible and absolutely disgusting that somebody would take that position, vocalize it and encourage other people to share that idea. But like, do I think that they should have their Twitter account taken away? No, I think that people should, I think that there should be a clear set of ideologically neutral rules when it comes to her, when it comes to online harassment, but I think that they have to be crafted very carefully. And what we basically have to do is we have to say like, you know, like doxing is not okay. Threatening people is not okay. Um, There's various forms of speech that are not, that are for a variety of different reasons that are not legal um, in, in this country. And I think that for the most part, where we've drawn the lines on what speech is legal and what speech is not works for me in this country. I, I, I think that Western Europe has legal hate- precedent. The- right, 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 right. Like Western Europe has hate speech laws. I'm not in favor of hate speech laws. Um, but I think in America, like, yeah, the lines that we've drawn around, like what you can legally say um, and how you can legally express yourself are basically like, I'm cool with those. They, they seem to, they seem to, uh, be in conformity with free free speech as a as a principle. Um, so I basically think that you know any legal speech um, should be protected. And you know, there's uh, Jeremy Carl who we had on the podcast who actually ended up going to work in the Trump administration during its final days. Um, said that basically, like you know, somebody at some point should sit down with Twitter and go, okay, here's my opening offer: we nationalize you. So what do you, so what's your counter offer to that? S- seeing as you're just, you know, using this to shut down free speech and it's not just Twitter. I mean, Amazon is like responsible for something like 80% of the book sales in this country. So if they mm. take a book off of amazon.com for all intents and purposes, you and I can't buy it. Yeah. So I, I, I want to ask like, what, what do you think about like, Oftentimes they're going to, people are going to want to build like smaller platforms that have like a specific point of view or, you know, there are people being harassed on Twitter all the time and they're like, okay, we're going to go away. We're going to create our own platform. Like, how would you set up the rules on on those? So it's like, hey, you know, at at some point I assume you think, well, if you're small enough, you should be able to kick out whoever you want, you know, ideologically, right? Well, here's the thing. I mean, like this whole just start a new platform thing, like they tried that with Parler. And then Amazon said no, you know, so it's like the concentration of, I mean, Gab has their own servers. They spent, you know, I don't know how Gab's running these days, but like super slow was how it was running for a while because they have their own servers. Um, There's things like if Cloudflare decides to stop working with you, you know, good luck stopping your site from getting DDoSed every day. Um, Mm -hmm. So, 
I, I basically think that like, you know, I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't think the free market has any solutions to this because I absolutely do. But I think that relying on the free market alone, particularly in a, in an economic environment where the, uh, you know, where big tech is basically a cartel, you know, and they're not, and part of it, I think for them is like, I think part of it's ideological. I think part of it is that big tech is, is in fact hostile towards American values. Um, but I think part of it is just good old fashioned anti-competitiveness. You know, why would Twitter um, want to allow a competitor to operate in their, um, you know, in their in their market if they don't if they don't have to, if they can make phone calls and get something, you know, effectively banned from the Internet, which is what happened to Parler. You know what? um why would they not why would they not do that again because they're such good guys they've demonstrated that they're not they've demonstrated i mean this is going back to the thing i said is like i assume people are good faith actors until they give me reason to think that they're not and all i get from big tech is reasons to think that they're not i mean they're constantly getting caught targeting tar- i mean it's not even like i think that it would be bad even if they targeted extreme if they even if they only targeted extremist speech i think that that would be bad because i th- but it's all, it's almost like clockwork where you target the extremist speech and then a year later you're 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 moving down the line right and i also think that like right. I, it almost seems like i i i almost held out hopes at the beginning where it was like okay it'll only be like these five crazy people uh you know almost like uh wishful thinking but uh that's not what's going to happen and I also think that kind of like I, I think that there's a separate point to be made that, you know, driving driving the extremists into the dark makes them more dangerous. Like, I, I, I really believe that. And that's a thing that I've believed pretty much since childhood, that like when you drive extremism into dark corners, basically all it does is metastasize for one uh, and for two. You know, it, there's a there's a there's a there's there's always an appeal. There's always a kind of sexy appeal of the forbidden, you know, that I think is very that I think is real. I don't think it's like a made up thing that people want things that are are forbidden and have this kind of air of danger about them. I think that that's ab- absolutely true. Yeah. So uh, to 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 conclude, like, what do you think? Um, what do you think? a a sort of an average person or an individual can, can do about any of this. Um, and like, what, what, what do you think our prospects are for, for the future on this? Like, are there any, um, is there any silver lining here? Is there any like, way out? sure. I think there's tons of ways. out. I mean, first of all, like if you're not writing your, uh, your Congress critters on a regular basis, you need to be doing that. You need to write your state reps and you need to write, your reps in the House of Representatives and the Senate. And I would also urge you to anytime a politician does something that you support, um, whether you are their constituent or not, send them a quick email or better yet, pick up the phone and call them and leave a message. Um, You know, I've called Ted Cruz. I've called Rand Paul. I'm not represented by either of them. But when they do something that I'm like, very, very much in favor of. I want them to know that people are kind of on their side. Um, also, you know, you've seen kind of moves in both Texas and Florida for state, like 
um, you know, they're, they're limited in what they can do, but what the, your state government can do is not nothing. So, for example, um, Rick DeSant, Ron DeSantis is moving to fine tech companies, you know, significant sums on a daily basis every time a candidate for public office in the state of Florida is deplatformed. Um, I don't know what kind of teeth that will have or how it will be enforced or anything like that. I assume that there will be enforcement mechanisms in place, but that's like, you know, that's just what one state can do. So I think that people should really be uh, communicating with their state reps, communicating with their, their, their reps at the federal level. And if you have even more time and inclination you know, get involved in your local political parties. Um, a lot of times there's positions like, say, you know, the ward captain of your local Republican Party. Um, you could probably make a phone call and be the ward captain in a week because they're like dying for people to take these positions. And for the most part, it's just about who's going to show up and do the work. So that's for somebody with a little more level of commitment. And then kind of the next level of commitment is like, you know, run for Congress, man. Like somebody, somebody needs to. And there's this real hunger right now, I think, to get rid of um, these extremely deferential to big business Republicans in the kind of mold of, you know, Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who just think that like conservatism is about how many tax cuts can we give to big corporations. Um, I think that there is a big hunger for people to, uh, you know, run run against these entrenched politicians who are not serving their constituencies and people laugh and it's like, you know what, like somebody's got to do it. You know, somebody eventually has to step up and 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 do it. And I think that, you know, you can say, well, who's going to vote for me? I mean, we just elected like a reality game show host as president of the United States um, barely four years ago. So I think that the 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 thirst on the part of the electorate for people who come outside of the traditional channels of where politicians are quote unquote, supposed to come from, you know, I think is really at an all time high. So I would urge people to consider doing that. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for Sam for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. So like I said, we have a lot of episodes in the can, some related to this topic and some not. Next week, I would say will be related because I am talking to Asif Lev, who is the CEO of Locals.com, about that alternative online platform, which I use, Maximum.Locals.com. And if you want total freedom online, uh, I have this new saying that I like. I don't know if I invented it, but maybe. But (laughs) it's, it's just all roads lead to Bitcoin. So I think... Yeah, I mean, we talked about, you know, deplatforming from banking, all that, like all those roads lead to Bitcoin. So I think, and it'll be in three weeks, we'll have Peter McCormick on the show, and he is the host of What Bitcoin Did, which is a Bitcoin podcast, a Bitcoin news podcast um, that has just, a really, you know, an average person can listen to, but it has fascinating speakers. And it's just really been on fire recently. So um, look forward to that. And um, 
I know I owe you a math episode, so I might try to talk about log space and linear space, which I know uh, I know I wanted to talk about in a co-hosted show. If we get Aaron back on, and maybe we'll bring in a little news update too. So that's the next three weeks of Local Maximum. Lots to look forward to. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power. 